0: Leviticus 27, verse 30, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Everyone say, it's the Lord's. It is holy, everyone say, it's holy Holy. unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof I pointed out uh, the other night that's 20% a fifth is 20% not 5% I've heard people say that's 5% but that's a fifth is 20% so that's high interest in God's bank praise God you don't want to borrow from God in other words Verse 32, and concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth, I won't say the tenth, shall be holy unto the Lord. Amen. And so, a couple of weeks ago, we started into this lesson, which it's been several years since I've taught on this subject, but I felt like I needed to come back and cover it. Here the first of this year, and um, I will tell you this, we've handed out contribution records. I have not looked at them, so don't anybody think I'm aiming at you. If, If you feel like I'm aiming at you tonight, that's your guilty conscience. That's not me, because I haven't looked at the records, and I don't know right now who has and who hasn't and, um, so uh, if it if it pierces your heart, there's an altar up here, and you can get it right with god, and um, I'll even see if he'll drop the twenty percent interest. I'll try to do my part if you'll do yours. How's that? Oh, hallelujah, so we are continuing on with part two of this lesson that I've entitled The Truth About Tithing. I will say it's interesting, I haven't checked lately, but uh, after I taught this lesson, this was one of the most highly listened to messages, I think that, that it still is, one of the, the most highly listened to messages, so I, I don't know if there's pastors listening and making notes or if saints are getting convicted, I don't know, but, but whichever way it goes, praise God. Amen. The truth about tithing, part two. Why don't we put our Bibles down, let's lift our hands, lift our voices, let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. I need His touch tonight. Would you pray for me? Let's talk to the Lord together. Now in Jesus' name, let's everyone just praise the Lord again together before we're seated. Let's praise Him. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God. God bless you. You may be seated. I, I um, before I start into a review, I thought a few moments ago, and you may have seen me grab my notes and write something down during the singing but I got to thinking that in all of my introduction last time, I never really gave you a definition for the word tithe. And, um, you know, I, I tend to think that everyone knows what it means. But I was, I, I was surprised some years ago. Um, I was in Africa, and one of the pastors uh, was talking to my wife, and he said to her, he said, You know, I'm glad that I learned that it doesn't take 10% to be a tithe. And then I realized not everybody knows what the word means. Because the very word that is translated tithe, the Hebrew word literally means tent. That's what it means, one-tenth. And so if it's not one-tenth, then it's not a tithe. Anything less than one-tenth is just an offering you're giving. But it's not a tithe. Well, hallelujah. And the fact is, anything over one-tenth becomes an offering because the word you know, it's, it's kind of like, and I suppose he heard some preacher say that somewhere, um, but it's just like so many preachers that want to say you can be baptized through sprinkling. You, you know, to make that statement means you don't even know what the word means. The word baptize is literally a, it, it's a transliteration That's not a translation, it's a transliteration. There's a difference. A transliteration is where you take the letters of the other language and turn them into our English letters. And so the Greek word baptizo, they just took the Greek letters and changed them into English letters. And it became baptize. But baptizo literally means to immerse. That's what the word means. There is a different Greek word altogether for sprinkling. It's ratizo. And ratizo means to sprinkle. But it's never used with regard to baptism. So you can't just take a word and apply your own meaning, and evidently that's what some are doing uh, with with words like baptize and evidently with words like tithe. You you give what you want and call it a tithe. Well, it's not a tithe if it's not a tenth. It must be 10% to be a tithe. You know, God really made it easy. Thank God that he doesn't have an IRS. And there's not a, some kind of convoluted tax code that takes many books to figure out. God said, I expect a tenth. Easy enough. No deductions. Well, that didn't go over very well, I guess. You know what I'm talking about. When you pay your taxes, they the, the government will allow for certain deductions. You know, you don't owe... You don't owe taxes on, on, on these things that you deduct from your income. But God didn't give us any system of deductions. It's just 10% of whatever's an increase to you. That's, that's what it is. And that makes it really easy. It's, it's 10% if you only make $10. It's 10% if you make $10 million. It's just 10%. And, um, you know, I, I, I will say this, I'm going to throw this in too, but I have honestly seen where for some people, when they had nothing, it was easier for them to tithe than when they suddenly had an abundance. I've seen that happen. You would think it'd be the other way around. You'd think, you know, if somebody's only getting $100, giving up 10 of those would be difficult. But I have literally watched people that did the difficult part. But then when things turned around for them financially and suddenly they had a bunch, then they just had a hard time letting go of such a large amount. Even though they had a much larger amount left over. And can I tell you, I don't know if I'll get to this tonight or not, but let me just tell you, in God's economy, He really is much more concerned about what you have left over. You want to see the blessing of God, He blesses you more abundantly when you have less left over. Again, I don't know if I'll get to this or not, but I can prove it scripturally. But one, one very well-known example is the widow's mite, or really actually her two mites. Right, that's all she had. And and the Bible says Jesus sat over against the treasury and he watched them as they put their money in. Now that's, you know, our ushers kind of stick the bag out there and it's a deep bag and you got an envelope and, you know, I don't think they're sitting there watching you write it out to see how much you're putting on there, but Jesus was literally watching them drop their money into the treasury. That'd be kind of intimidating. Maybe I ought to try that a service or two. (laughs) Here, you guys, let me hold the offering bag. Let me see what goes in this bag. Jesus, Jesus sat over against the treasury and watched them contribute and said nothing until this little widow came along and put in her two mites. And Jesus called his disciples, hey, 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 get over here. I want you guys to see what happened. Now that poor widow was probably embarrassed. She probably thought Jesus was about to make fun of her because she had put in so little. But the exact opposite happened. And he said, all the rest of these have given out of their abundance. But she gave out of her want. She needed these two mites. But she gave it anyhow. And Jesus commended her, and we have record of her. Though we don't know her name, we have record of this poor little widow woman, and she gets preached about all over the world today, 2,000 years later, for giving two mites. If you've never seen a mite, I've got some in my office, literal, the, the, the very coins that they used. I got them while I was in Israel, very, very tiny, smaller than a penny, smaller than a dime. Um, depending on the coin. Some of them about the same size as a dime. But a very small coin, and it just didn't amount to much financially. But this woman needed it desperately. And yet she gave it to God, and because of that, she is commemorated to this very day. Well, hallelujah. And so the Lord was really much more concerned about what she had left. Who was it that never wanted for oil and meal during the time of famine? It was the widow who had nothing left when she got through giving. And so, so listen, this, this thing about I can't afford to tithe, it should be obvious that God doesn't accept that. And that's why I had you repeat some words out of our text. First of all, he said, all the tithe is the Lord's. And then he said, all the tithe is holy unto the Lord. And just in case you didn't understand, he comes back and says again, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now that is important for where we're going here in just a couple of minutes as I do get into the review and go beyond. But I do want to stress to you that God obviously expects that ten percent and he doesn't make an exception that if you can't afford it, I'll let you get by. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Now, we started out last week talking about those who say we don't have to tithe because it's an Old Testament doctrine. You know, I've dealt with that. I dealt with it a couple weeks ago. I dealt with it in our podcast Sunday night. I talked about, the, you know, how that everything that we preach is based on the Old Testament. We can't throw the Old Testament away. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture. All Scripture. All Scripture including those from Genesis 1 through Malachi. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That includes the Old Testament. And so we can't just throw it away. The problem is a lot of people don't really understand. They've never taken the time to rightly divide the word of truth. And, and um, they need to understand that when we talk about the law there were three specific aspects of the law, each of them pertaining to a different category in the lives of the Jewish people. There were really three sets of laws. This is what we started talking about this a couple of weeks ago, but but there are three sets of laws. We talked about the fact that beginning at Mount Sinai, the Israelites became a Jewish nation. Now, they didn't inherit their own land to incorporate that nation into a a plot of ground, but they were a nation. They were just a wandering nation. But as a nation, they had to have a set of civil laws. You understand the term civil. We're talking about governmental laws. The laws of the state of Kansas are civil laws. The laws of the United States are civil laws. They are our governmental laws. And so when you're reading through the law of Moses, you've got to remember that that some of these laws that you're reading about are civil laws that only applied to the Jews as a nation of people. They were laws that dealt with the punishment of crime. Laws that dealt with uh, taking care of widows and orphans and strangers. These were civil laws. We are not a part of the Jewish nation today and the civil laws do not apply to us. Alright? Then, the, the Jews also were a religious people they observed the jewish religion now look you go to israel you can see this same division even today because the nation of israel has certain laws but then the religion of judaism has other laws and not every even not not even every jew that lives in israel abides by the religious laws but they have to abide by the civil laws or they suffer the punishments thereof. Are you understanding? So so there was a set of civil laws and there was a set of, of ceremonial or religious laws. These things were strictly dealing with the Jewish religion. This was their feast days, Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of, of, of um, Passover. This is why we don't keep these feast days today. Because those things fell under the guidelines of the Jewish religion. The ceremonial laws. And we are not a Jewish religion. But then there was a third set of laws because not only were they a nation of people and not only were they a religion, but first and foremost, they were God's people. And so there was a third set of laws that applied to them that expressed God's morality. And this is what we call the moral law. The moral law were things like the Ten Commandments. So when the Bible says, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, does that still apply to us today? Of course it does. That's not their civil law, and that's not their ceremonial law. That's a part of God's moral law. When he says, thou shalt not commit adultery, that's not their civil law. That's not their ceremonial law. That's God's moral law. And, and I had started into this last time, but when you deal with God's morality, you've got to remember he made the statement, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, his morality doesn't change. That's why from the very beginning in the garden when Cain killed Abel this is, this is long before it's written on tables of stone thou shalt not kill. But God punished Cain for killing. Why did God do that? The moral law hadn't, or the law of Moses hadn't been written. Why did God punish Cain Long before the law of Moses, because this has always been a part of God's morality. That's why you get to to the time of Abraham, and God's going to kill Abimelech if he commits adultery with Sarah. This is before the law of Moses, but adultery, this is a part of God's morality. These things were before the law, and they continue after Calvary. They still apply to the church today. Why? We're not a Jewish nation. We're not a Jewish religion. But we are the people of God. And as the people of God, whatever is a part of God's morality, it still applies to us today. All right? So so look, there are... There are certain clues that help us identify what things God brought into this moral law as opposed to the civil or ceremonial law. For instance, if God ever said something was an abomination to him. Now, there were things that God said. For instance, he said that, that shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. So you can't just do a search for the word abomination because God didn't hate shepherds. The first people to receive the message of the birth of Christ were shepherds. God didn't hate shepherds, but the Egyptians did. It was an abomination to them. So when you look for the word abomination, you've got to make sure that it says it's an abomination to God. And there were things that God said were were to be an abomination to the Jews. certain dietary restrictions that God said that if you eat these, it, it's to be an abomination to you. But he didn't say it's an abomination to me as God. All right? Now, look, I, this is not in my notes, but get your Bible and, and go over to Deuteronomy chapter 22. I'm just going to throw this in here tonight. Um, this, this is not, obviously, it's not a part of my notes, or he would have it written out for him. But, but I just want to show you, this is one of the things that uh, people often say when we quote Deuteronomy 22 as one of the reasons why our ladies dress the way they do. Um, Deuteronomy 22, uh, go down to verse 9, read verse 9, Deuteronomy 22 verse 9. Okay, and then then the next verse, verse
1: 10. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. All right, verse 11. Thou shalt not wear a garment of diverse sorts as of woolen and linen together.
0: All right, so you get the idea. There's all kinds of things God says, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do. But look at verse 5 and see if you see a difference in verse 5. Read verse 5. For all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. So here it clearly states it's an abomination to God. And I've had people say, well, you you don't go by verse 9, so in. Various seeds, you don't go by verse 10, plowing an ox and and a donkey together. You don't go by verse 11 where you can't wear garments of different sorts. Well, why is it you pick out one verse and you're going to go by that, but you don't go by the others? Well, I'll tell you why. Because this verse is distinct in this chapter. This verse and this verse alone says that this particular activity is an abomination unto God. Let me just, because I'm not dealing with holiness yet, I, I will, I, I I intend to start on some things after we finish this series of lessons, but, but let me, because I'm here, let me just deal with this, all right? Um, well, nobody said it was all right, but I'll go ahead and do it anyhow. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> Praise God. This is what happens when you get old, you get cantankerous, so. I've waited 63 years to be a grouchy old man, so stay out of my way. It's my turn. Um, So look, let me just tell you, the word abomination really means to utterly detest. It means to hate something so severely it makes you sick. That's what it means. And not every sin is called an abomination. Now, God doesn't like any sin, but not every sin makes God sick. Some do. Homosexuality is listed as an abomination to God. Makes God sick. Bestiality is listed as an abomination to God. It makes God sick. Witchcraft is listed as an abomination unto God. It makes God sick. Now look, I want to tell you, if, if God hates something so severely that if he were human, he would be sick at his stomach, then I don't want to get anywhere close to any of that. That's why I don't bring Harry Potter books into my house. I don't read the horoscopes. Because witchcraft makes God sick. He hates it with a putrefying hatred. So with that in mind, in that same category, witchcraft, homosexuality, bestiality, in that same category of things that make God sick, he hates them so much. He said, if a man puts on a woman's garment, and isn't it interesting how this is worded? Because he doesn't say the same thing about women that he says about men. For a man, he's specific, don't put on a woman's garment. But he doesn't say that a woman shall not put on a man's garment. He says a woman should not put on something that even pertains. To a man. Isn't that interesting? Because I've, I've, had, I've had ladies say, well, these are women's pants. You know, God's pretty smart, isn't He? he, he he's, he's pretty smart. He, he figured things out long before some human mind thought they could uh, use their logic to get around God's laws. The fact of the matter is, and I've traveled I've traveled to many, many, many countries. Now, it's changing. I won't always be able to use this example because it is changing. But I can tell you that, that uh, I've gone into countries where I didn't know one word of the language. When I needed to go to the restroom, I didn't have any problem figuring out which one I should go to. Because whatever country I was in, Whatever the language was, they would always put a symbol on the door. And I knew what was the ladies' room because a lady had on a dress. And I knew what was the men's room because a man had on pants. Worldwide, they recognized that pants pertained to men. So I don't care if you flower them up, make them loose-fitting. I don't care what you do to them. If they're pants, they pertain to men. And look, I'm I'm not coming up with some off-the-wall interpretation. Do you know that, that the strict Jews in Israel today, the Hasidic Jews, those Jews that keep the law to the very letter will not let ladies wear pants in their sections of town. They understand that's what this means. So so this is why I've, I've said, look, if God hates something this bad, I don't want to even get close to it. Right? I wouldn't want to get close to it. And, and I'll, I'm, I'm way off the subject of tithing tonight. But maybe... Some of these people that are listening to this series might learn a few things on this too. But if it pertains to a man, if it's any kind of pants, whatever the purpose is, I wouldn't want to be involved if I was a woman because God Hates it. Now, here's the strange phenomenon I've been learning about in the apostolic movement. Is somehow, somebody's got it in their mind that what, that that if they're wearing these pants to bed, then that changes things. Oh, it got real quiet all of a sudden. I, I don't, now look, You've got to understand, you know, I've heard people say, well, look, when you're, when you're going to bed, or you, obviously you can't dress modest all the time. When, when you when you know, do you dress modest every time you go to bed? Do you, you know, how do you take a shower and stay modest? And you've missed the point. This is not about modesty. This is about what's an abomination to God. If it was a matter of modesty, then I'd say, okay, it doesn't matter when you go to bed. That's fine. But this is not a matter of modesty. This is a matter of abomination to God. And if God hates something so bad that it makes him sick, why would you want to take a chance? Okay, I've got to get back on tithing. Just, that's free of charge. That, that, that didn't cost you anything. Um, That wasn't even a part of your 10%, praise God. I just donated that one to you, praise God. So, So I was saying there are some things that give us clues as to what's a part of God's morality. And one of those is if God calls something an abomination to him. That's a part of his morality, and that never changes. Another thing is if God says something is holy unto him. See, that's the, that's the diametric opposite of what's an abomination to God. What's holy to God is what God loves and claims for himself. Does that make sense? So once God declares that something is holy unto Him, that becomes a part of His morality. And that becomes a part of the moral law of God that was before the law of Moses and continues after the law of Moses. Well, Praise God. So, I quoted a while ago, but go ahead and throw in Malachi 3.6. We're back on your notes now, um, just so we can know where we're at. We'll get back on the notes at this point. Malachi 3 and 6. For I
1: am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye
0: sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord, I change not. So this, this is in any way. there is. The Bible says there's not even a shadow of turning in him. There's no variableness in him. God doesn't change. So if he hated it before, he hates it now. If he loved it before, he loves it now because there's no variableness in him. He doesn't change. So with that in mind, let's think back to our text and the words I had you repeat. The tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. All the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. This puts tithing in a different category. This puts tithing into the category of the moral law. That continued after Calvary and existed before Calvary. Would you like for me to prove that to you? Let me show you in the scriptures. Now I tell you what, Brother Hilton, we're going to do these, and and whoever's hiding behind the computer back there, who's that, Sister Jasmine? Um, we're gonna. I'm going to take. I'm going to take um, a, a verse. I'm going to jump down to a verse, and then we'll come back and catch these others but let's skip down to Genesis 28 verses 20 through 22 Genesis 28 verses 20 through 22 And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. This was 280 years before Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai. 280 years. Jacob made a commitment to God. If you'll just give me bread... If you'll provide for me, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything that you give me. 280 years before the law of Moses. Now, where did he learn this? Was this just something that he dreamed up? Pardon the pun. In case you don't know, this was at Bethel, where he just had a dream about the angels ascending and descending. So anyhow. Was tithing something he just dreamed up? Or did he learn it somewhere? Well, let's go back to Jacob's grandpa. Do you know who his grandpa was? Abraham. Genesis chapter 14. We're backing up 14 chapters. Genesis 14, verses 18 through 20. Uh-huh.
1: Right. And he blessed him and said, "Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy thy hand." And he gave him tithes of all.
0: Now it it almost sounds like Melchizedek gave tithes to Abraham, but you go into the book of Hebrews and you realize that the writer of Hebrews explains to us that Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. So, here's what I'm telling you. Jacob didn't just dream this up about, you know, it would be a good thing to give God 10%. He had learned it from Grandpa. When Abraham did this, this was 420 years before the law was given at Mount Sinai. Did you catch that? Jacob was 280 years Abraham was 420 years. So, this is not something that just came to be under the law of Moses. Now, I do want to throw in this other scripture. Who was it that paid tithes in this passage? Abraham. So, let's see what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Abraham is our father. Jesus said, if "If you're Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just pay our tithes. Well, If you're a child of Abraham, you should do what Abraham did. And Abraham paid tithes. Now, let me, before I get too far ahead of myself, because I am going to talk about how Jesus did teach tithing, and I I think this really does apply. But there are more specific places where he teaches tithing, and we'll get into that because, again, one of the arguments is that Tithing is not a New Testament thing. and I'm going to show you how wrong that statement is. Um, but let me first, we're not really finished with the law. I want to remind you there are three aspects to the law. Right? Everybody's with me? There was the civil law, dealt with them as a nation. There was the ceremonial law that dealt with them as a religion. And there was the moral law that dealt with them as God's people. Do you know that under the law of Moses, there were actually three separate tithes that the children of Israel had to pay? And this is where a lot of people get confused because they just go into the Old Testament and they find some passage that talks about tithe. I've seen people do this. I've read books where they've found a passage that deals with tithes and said, look, this is what the tithe was for. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, Let's just get into it right now. Deuteronomy 14, verses 28 and 29. So so here is a tithe. He says, every three years, I want you to give a tithe. And, And he said, here's what I want you to do with it. I want you just to lay it up within your gates. So in other words, wherever you're living, you collect your tithe, and instead of taking it to the house of God, you go put it at the gate of the city. And any widows and any orphans or any strangers that are there, they can go and eat of the tithe. Remember their tithe was not at faithlife.com. They, they didn't use a credit card to pay their tithe. They, they didn't pay their tithe in bills. At this time, these are nomads. These are people wandering the wilderness. And even after they came into the land of promise, the way that they were tithing was off of their increase, which was their harvest their fruit, their grain, their animals, their flocks and herds. And so what they would do is every three years they would collect a tithe of the grain, the fruit, the vegetables, the animals, and they would take them to the gate of the city and this was the way that the fatherless and widows and strangers among them was able to live. This was what we could call the poor tithe. And I've seen people who have taken this passage and said, see, that's what the tithe is supposed to do. It's not supposed to go to the church. You're supposed to be feeding the the poor with your tithe. No, this poor tithe was not a part of God's moral law. It was a part of the Jewish civil law. We have, in our civil law, certain ways to take care of the fatherless and the widows. Right? We have that set up in our civil law already. And it actually comes out of the taxes that we pay. You didn't know that system was actually created in the Bible, did you? That That's... I mean, seriously, that's, that's where it came from. You'd be surprised to know how many of our laws are based on biblical laws. Most of the secular world doesn't want you to know that. The fact of the matter is, if you go to the Supreme Court, unless they've taken it down, you go to the Supreme Court of the United States in Washington, D.C., they actually have Moses and the Ten Commandments on the court building. our laws were built on biblical laws now now that was one tithe every 3 years they had to pay an extra tithe and then let's go to Deuteronomy 14 verses 22 through 27
1: shalt thou turn it into money and bind up the money in thy thine hand and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose and thou shalt bestow that money for whatsoever that thy soul lusteth after for oxen
0: All right, now, I, I should have pointed this out, this last, this last statement. I should have pointed it out in the poor tithe as well. You may have noticed um, it said, and the Levite, because he hath no part nor inheritance with thee, he also would partake of that every third year tithe that was brought to the gate. The Levites were able to partake of that as well. And now there is this tithe, which we'll call the feast tithe, because this is the instruction Every year when it's a feast day, you collect another tithe. You take another tithe of your increase. But he said this tithe that you are to use that that if there there were three times a year that God wanted and, and you'll notice that he said that if that place be too far from thee, which the Lord shall choose to set his name. He was talking about Jerusalem. God already had all this planned or before Jerusalem, Shiloh. God had all of this planned ahead of time. Wherever His tabernacle or His temple was, they would have to come there for their feast days. And God said, if it's too far for you, you can take part of your tithe and use that. Sell what you've got. You know, you take 10% of your, uh, of your flocks or your herds or your whatever and sell it and use that to get to Jerusalem. Or if you're close enough... Just use that and spend it on party favors. I mean, really, that's what he's saying. Feast days are holidays. They're party time. And God said, I want you at the feast time to take another tithe and use that tithe specifically for the celebration of the feast. And I read a book where a man took this passage and said, that's what your tithe is supposed to be sent for, spent for. Not supposed to go to the church. You're misconstruing what's written in the Scriptures. This is the feast tithe. Now remember, the feast days were a part of what? Which law? The ceremonial law. The feast days were a part of the ceremonial law. This tithe was a part of the ceremonial law. And you collected it only at the days of the feasts. So so there was a civil tithe, That went for the poor and the Levites. There was a feast tithe that went to celebrate the holidays and to support the Levites. And then there was a third tithe. And that was the tithe that we read about in our text. We can also read about this in Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. Let's read this. I've given the Levites all of the tenth in Israel for an inheritance.
1: For their service, which they shall serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh the tabernacle of the congregation, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and they shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute The tithes of the children of Israel. Which they offer as an heave offering unto the Lord, I have given to the Levites. I've given inherit. it to the
0: Levites to inherit.
1: Therefore I have said unto them, Among the children of Israel, they, have, they shall have no
0: inheritance. Now, this Levitical tithe is what we read about in our text. Let me point it out to you again. Leviticus 2730. Now, now pay attention. What book does this come from? Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all the tithe
1: of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord.
0: What book is this in? Leviticus. Do you notice Leviticus? Levi. That's what Leviticus is all about. It's laws for the Levites who were the, the ministers At the house of God. And so God says here in Numbers that that tithe, the Levitical tithe, is holy to God. But he explained in Deuteronomy, I've given it, it belongs to me, God said, but I've given it to those that serve at my house. but it's holy to God. So this is not the poor tithe. It's not the civil tithe. This is not the feast tithe. It's not the ceremonial tithe. This is the Levitical tithe. It is the moral tithe. Do you see three aspects to the law, three categories of tithing, but only one was a part of God's morality. So thank God, You don't have to pay three sets of tithes. Well, at least Brother Jared Hilton was honest. Surely the rest of you are thinking that. Thank God that I don't have to, every time there's a holiday, come up with another 10% on top of the 10%. And then every three years, come up with another 10% on top of the 10%. I mean, you know, that every third year, you've, you've gotten to a place where You go to pay your tithes at at that one point, you're you're putting out 30%. So let me try this again. Because we're the people of God, we don't have to do all three tithes. All right, yeah, I thought you'd be a little bit more excited if you really understood it. So, So God's not requiring of you that you pay the other tithes. But this tithe, the Levitical tithe. was the the moral law, and it existed, remember, to whom did Abraham pay tithes? Remember the law first mentioned? You, You remember me talking about one of the rules of Bible interpretation first mentioned? The first time we actually read the word tithe is when Abraham paid his tithe to Melchizedek, whom the Bible said was the priest of the Most High God. So the very first mention of paying tithes when it's specifically called tithe, I mean, you know, I've heard people talk about Cain and Abel and and tying that into a tithe and all that. But it's not specifically called that. And so I'm not going to try to argue or debate that issue. What I will tell you is the first time we read the word tithes, that's the first mention, specifically. And in that case, it is specific that the tithe was paid to the priest. So God sets a precedent right there. And this, this continues. It started before the law. Almost 500 years before the law it started. It continued after the law. It wasn't created during the law. The other two were. But this one was not. This one was adopted by the law of Moses. But it started before and it continues after. Well, praise God. Um, let, me, let me try to get through a few things here. I, I won't read this next passage. Uh, this comes, if you want to make notes, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 31 and verses 4 through 12. And what happens in this passage of Scripture is that they are they are restoring the, the children of Israel. It's a revival. They're coming back to do what they were supposed to have been doing. They neglected the law of God for many years. And so it was commanded the people, you have not been paying your tithes. You need to catch up. You need to come pay your tithes like you have supposed to do. Well, the people did. They responded and they brought with such great amounts that they didn't even know what they were going to do with it. You can read this in Second Chronicles 31, verses 4 through 12. And, and the Bible says that what they had to do is they had to build storehouses. To be able to accept this access, or, or, or I'm sorry, this excess of tithing. It was far more than what the priests needed. But, the, but it being more than what the priests needed did not mean that the people were, were given an excuse not to pay. See, I've, I've heard that from people. Well, there's 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 more coming in and tithes than what, what what's needed. Th- that's not the issue. That that has nothing to do with it, whether it's true or not. And most of the time that I've been aware of, it it hasn't been true. But, But even if it were true, if there were 10 million coming in, that doesn't excuse you from your responsibility to do what God tells you to do. And so this is the way it was dealt with. And it's very clear here in 2 Chronicles that the way they dealt with it is they just built a storehouse. In other words, they set up a tithing account. See, I've taught and taught and taught about the Joseph principle. Anybody remember hearing me talk about the Joseph principle? Joseph principle is this. Joseph taught Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of plenty set back enough because seven years of famine are coming. And what I've said to the people of God is many times you get this big blessing all of a sudden. Some of you remember we we got these COVID checks. What do they call them? What? Stimulus. You got stimulus checks. And I tried to warn people. You get this check. Don't think that all of a sudden you can go out and just waste it because it's extra money. I said, I promise you the day's coming. You're going to wish you had it. Set it back. Some did, some didn't. Those that didn't, wish they would have listened. Back in those days, we were enjoying $1.97 gasoline. Today, you're not going to find $1.97 gasoline. And don't you wish you had some of that stimulus money to help you pay the extra for the gas? Right? That's the Joseph principle. I'm telling you, God knows how to take care of his people. The problem is his people don't always know how to respond. And that's what I have found, even in my own life. There's times all of a sudden, boy, somebody comes in, they've gotten a blessing, they bless the church with it, and I say, oh, that doesn't mean it's time to go out and start spending. There's probably coming some difficult days ahead. We better set this back. Because we're going to need it. Just because you can afford something today doesn't mean you're going to be able to afford it tomorrow. So this was a principle. This was a principle that God established. And and my point is just this. It doesn't excuse you just because you think it's not needed by the church or the, the ministry. That doesn't excuse you. This is God's it's not yours in fact in fact if we go back to our text god was talking about the tithe and he said i want you to tell the children of israel that they better not come near it well uh, i'll get into that that's, that's later on in the lesson we will get into that um and i am trying to it's, it's i got about 10 minutes here let me take the time to deal with this, and then the next installment we'll get into the New Testament, and I'm going to show you how tithing really is taught in the New Testament as well, and I'm going to show you that. So, so let me just take the last, the last few minutes of this service and, and show you something else about the tithing. Let's go to Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. Numbers chapter 18, verses 20 through 24.
1: Neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh. The
0: tabernacle of the there, there's the verse I was talking about. So he's talking about tithing. And he says, neither must the children of Israel henceforth come nigh. Now he's talking about when, when you bring your tithe in, you drop it off and leave it alone. You don't come back and want it back. And, and you don't walk up and say, look, I'm giving this to you with these stipulations. You give it to God and then don't come close to it again. You, you, you leave it with God and let God deal with it from there. Lest they bear sin and die. Read.
1: Yes. And they shall bear their iniquity. Mm-hmm. It shall be a statute forever, throughout, forever. Your generation. throughout your generations.
0: I have given it to the Levites to inherit it. Now again, who are the Levites? They're those that minister at the house of God. That's who the Levites are. Alright? Did we finish that? Read.
1: Therefore I have said unto them among the children of
0: Israel, they shall have no Alright, so so what I wanted to show you is with this Levitical tithe, this moral tithe. God sets some very clear parameters. This is for the livelihood of those that minister around my house. That's what it's for. And I can tell you that when you start looking into the Scripture, whether it was the building of the tabernacle or the building of the temple or the repairs of the temple, at no time... Did did God say, bring your tithes so we can repair my house? Or bring your tithes so I can build a house? At no time was the tithe used for the structure. It was specifically for the ministers to live on. So then how did they build the tabernacle? How did they build the temple? How did they repair the temple after it was destroyed? How did they do that? If it can't come through the tithe, how does it happen? Through offerings. Through the free will offerings of the people. Now now I want you to notice, this is the way God says it. I expect 10% out of you, that's mine. But I also want to see that you love my house and that you love it enough that you don't give to the support of my house out of mandate. You take care of my house out of love. You take care of my ministers out of mandate. And there's a reason for that, because he knew from time to time you wouldn't like what the minister tells you. Well, I'm just being honest. If, if tithing was a matter of choice, then people would, just, and I've seen people who thought they could, the minute they didn't like what the preacher said, well, I'm withholding my tithe. Well, you've got to understand you're not withholding it from the minister, you're withholding it from God. It belongs to God. God gives it to the minister, but you're withholding it from God, and he's the one that's going to deal with it. So this is a matter of mandate when it comes to ministry. That's mandate. God doesn't give you a choice because He knew if He gave you a choice, when you didn't like what was being said, you wouldn't pay your tithe. So He doesn't give you a choice with the ministry. But when it comes to the house of God, God gives you a choice. Now, I'm just going to throw this out. We'll deal with it more perhaps later on in this continuing lesson, but, but there is no set amount that God says you have to give as an offering. I've heard people teach this, this principle of a half shekel, and, and I, I, don't, I don't even want to get into it because I don't want to confuse anybody, but, but the half shekel was not what it's being made out to be, and it, it was not a percentage. It was a literal amount. There was a shekel, just like we have a dollar and a half dollar. There was a physical, literal, financial, I guess I should say, amount the shekel was worth. And a half shekel was not a percentage of your increase. And I've heard people try to take the half shekel and say that you ought to be giving 5% to God. 10% 10% is your tithe, and your offering ought to be 5% because of the half shekel. I'm t- if you want to do that, that's your choice. But God doesn't mandate that. God doesn't set a percentage on what you give. He wants to see what you're willing to. Now until it exceeds 10% it's not a gift. Until it exceeds you know until it reaches 10%. 10% is what God demands. It's what God requires. And so not until you give over 10% have you really given. It it it's it's I got I got just a few minutes. Musicians can come and try to get ready. G- give me keys to that beautiful truck you got out there. Oh. <laughs> so I can't even start the thing with this. No, I don't know if we should announce that over the internet. I wouldn't <laughs> leave the fob that. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll let, let you by tonight. That really doesn't help me much. Yeah, I have to use the imagination because he left his, anyhow, whatever. But it really is a beautiful truck if you hadn't seen it. Uh, 2022 Toyota, what is it? Tundra. I knew it wasn't Tacoma. Toyota Tundra 1794 edition. Beautiful, what do you call that color? Mocha. Battle Brown. It's a nice truck. I've ridden in it. It's a nice truck. Now, you know, Brother Hilton helps out a lot around here. And uh, honestly, there's so many things that I just wouldn't get done if it wasn't for him. And so what I want to do is show my appreciation to him. So here is what I'm going to do to show my appreciation to him is I'm giving him The keys to a 2022 Toyota. What is it again? Tundra. Tundra. You can tell I'm impressed by Toyota. (laughs) Brother Westberg Westberg used to say, if you you own a Japanese car, when you die, you go to Tokyo. Um, (laughs) But I appreciate him so much that I'm giving him this 2022 pickup. Isn't that a great, didn't I do something great? I mean, wasn't that phenomenal to I mean, really, how many times do you ever see see somebody be given a truck in the middle of a church service? You're not impressed. You know why you're not impressed? Because I didn't give him anything. He handed me his keys and I handed them back. I didn't give him anything. Now, if I were to reach into my pocket and give him the fob to my 2019 Lincoln Continental, which I'm not going to do, then I'd be giving him something. Right? But as long as I'm only doing what I just did, all I've done is return to him what's already his. And when you give 10% to God, you really haven't given God anything. The 10% is his all along. You're just returning to him what he loans you. And you haven't given until it goes above 10%. So if you really want to kind of check yourself, you look at those financial statements that we gave out, contribution statements that we gave out, and you remove, deduct from that the amount that's tithe, And then you see how much you actually gave to God. The rest of it, you returned to God. It's quite a difference there. Now, I'll tell you that the more you give, God blesses tithing. I'm. I'll, I'll come back and talk about again the New Testament. I'll get into some of these things. God blesses tithing. I've seen God bless sinners, rank sinners, who tithe. I've seen God do it because it's a principle, and God honors it. But you really want to see the blessing of God? It's when it goes above what belongs to God that's when God really starts multiplying the blessings and I learned that many years ago and I I'm not preaching something to you that I myself don't practice in fact I make it a point you see me every Sunday morning put my tithe in I've got a yellow envelope I put my tithe in every Sunday morning now I do that because I want you to know that your pastor pays his tithes But my tithes actually go to my pastor. We don't keep my tithes here. I send my tithe to my pastor. Because I believe that's the biblical way things are done. And so 10% of what I get in goes to my pastor. That's why you see that yellow envelope. And it also helps those that are counting the offering to know we don't count this. It's not going here. It's not staying here. It's getting mailed on to Bishop Howard. So It sets it apart. But I want the church to know that I'm not requiring something of you that I myself don't do. I also, I have, and we'll talk about this when we get into this later on in the lesson, but, but I do I do give to God a percentage. God doesn't require it. But I feel like that's the best way for me to do it. And I started this years ago just determining a percentage. This will be my offering above my tithe. And I can tell you that when I do get a salary... And there's sometimes I don't, but that's by choice. I don't, the church is good to me. There's just times that I feel like the church needs it and I haven't taken one. And so, but when I do draw a salary, then the first, you can look at my checkbook and you'll see the first two checks after the deposit. My tithe is number one. And my offering is number two. It follows every deposit. That is just the way I am about my tithing. I don't want to hold on to it when it belongs to God. I want to make sure I get it to God. I want to make sure I don't take a chance on spending it. So I make sure the first thing that comes out of my account is my tithe check. And the second thing is my offering check. That's just the way I live. And I really think that's a good way for all of us to live. Technically, can you wait a year and pay tithes? Yeah, technically you can, as long as you make sure you pay 10%. But I wouldn't recommend it. I think you'll do a whole lot better. For One thing, it's it's going to hurt a whole lot more. If you're not setting that money back, and you get to the end of the year, and you got to come up with all 10%, you're going to wish you'd been paying it weekly or biweekly or monthly or however you get paid well and 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 you guys better start playing because I'm I'll forget and just keep going but but again I, I want you to, to know you know I started out by saying I haven't looked at your contribution statements I will because I do feel like it's a it's a it's a way of really checking certain spiritual levels. It's kind of like checking the oil on your car. Somebody's struggling to pay their tithes. They're struggling really with their submission to God because that's what tithing is. It's an act of submission. And that's why God designates it to the Levites. It's, it's an act of submission. And so if they're, if they're not paying their tithes, there's, there's, a, there's a problem here spiritually. I do feel like as your pastor I need to know, but I don't, I don't just watch it through the year and I don't watch it every service and I don't look at it because I want to be free that if the Spirit prompts me to hit on it, nobody can say, well, He's aiming at me. I'm not aiming at anybody. I'm just teaching biblical principles. My pastor was a little bit different in the way he did it. I've told this before, but they received the tithe separately, and he would tell the ushers, Now, ushers, those people that don't pay tithes, you better keep an eye on them. They're thieves. That is what the book of Malachi says. We had not got to that yet, but that's what the book of Malachi says. Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me, he said, through tithes and offerings. My pastor said, they're thieves. So you better watch them close. They're liable to take offerings out of the bag, too. I I haven't been that way. But I do understand what he was saying. I want to make sure that I'm not ever found guilty of robbing God. I am so conscientious about it. I'm telling you, I am so conscientious about tithing. For me, this is me. I can't preach this to you. This is me. But I feel like If it's an increase, I owe God tithes on it. And so, the church was kind. My birthday gave me a check. That was a gift. But I'm going to tithe on that gift. I say I'm going to because I haven't deposited it yet. Um, But... Once it's deposited, there'll be a tithes written off of it. Christmas came around, people gave money, we tithe. And I'll tell you what else we do. This is, this is us. Somebody gives us a gift card, I look at that like money. And I won't even spend that gift card until I sit down and figure out, okay, here's how much the gift card was. So I'm going to pay tithes on this amount before I use this gift card. That's me. In fact, I'd not only pay tithes, we write an offering check on what comes in on the gift card. That's just me. But I'm just telling you, I am so conscientious about this because God said that's mine. And, and you know, really, I've got, I've got to close, but really, the sin of Achan... Was that God said, Jericho is mine. It's the first fruits. And that's what the tithe was. It was the first fruits. You don't just give God any 10%. That's why my first check is my tithe, because God said it's the first fruits. The first 10% belongs to Him. And so I always give Him the first fruits of what comes in. Jericho was the first fruits of the conquest of Canaan. And God said, therefore, you're not to take anything out of Jericho. All of that city, that's mine. You don't take it. Achan took God's portion. And it caused innocent Israelites to lose their life. And it caused an entire nation, the Israelites, to suffer a humiliating defeat. At the hands of a small army. Now think about it. Word had spread to Jericho about how mighty these Israelites were. You Remember Rahab wanting to hide the the spies? Because she said, I've heard about what your God's done for you. Word had spread. They'd already heard about how mighty these people were. Ai was just a small little town. And they get there and they can't defeat it. You talk about humiliating. But the reason they couldn't defeat it was because Achan took God's portion for himself. And it cost the lives of innocent Israelites, and it ended up costing the life of Achan and his entire family because he took God's part. That's why I'm I'm just super sensitive about that myself. I make sure God's going to get His. And I'm I'm kind of like, I heard Brother Booker talk about Ananias and Sapphira. You know, their sin was not in not giving God everything. Their sin was in lying about the percentage. Nobody required that they give 100%. But they claimed they gave 100%. And God smote them dead for saying it was 100% when it wasn't. That kind of puts fear in me about these guys saying it doesn't have to be 10% to be a tithe. Yeah, um, if you say it's a percentage, you better give God what you say you're giving God. Brother Booker said he, said he would just imagine after that period, somebody's writing out their check, and, and that percentage that they said they were giving came to $95.06, they said, you know what, we're just going to round this up to $100. I I just want to make sure here. I don't want to end up like Ananias and Sapphira. I don't want God killing me. I'm just going to round this up and be safe. And that's really kind of the way that I do. I I just round it on up, and I make it an even amount, and I just, all right, God. I actually, there was a man I went to church with years ago. This is not a joke. My pastor showed me one day, he said, I want to show you something. I sat in his office, he said, I want to show you something. He opened his desk drawer, pulled out a penny that had been cut in half. He said, when the man figured his tie that came out to a half a cent, so he cut the penny in half. Couldn't even give God a half a cent more. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the full story behind this little statement, but I'll make the statement now. A preacher said one time, he said, if you cut it close on God, God's going to cut it close on you. So that's why I'd rather say, here God, I'll, I'll give you a little extra here. This may not be, but but just in case, I'm always thinking this, just in case somewhere down the road I forgot about something, I I just want to make sure I'm covered here. I want to make sure I, I want to make sure when it comes to the end of my life, I've made sure that you've always gotten your 10% plus. I just don't take any chances with God. And I believe God appreciates that. And I believe that many of the blessings that I've enjoyed. And, and many of you don't know about the struggles that we've had in the last 26 years, 27 almost years. Some of, many of you don't see any of that. You don't see the struggles. You only see the blessings today. But I can tell you, the blessings we're enjoying today, the house we live in, the cars we drive, it's because I've been faithful to God through the years. Even when I couldn't afford it. Because to me, it's not a matter of what I can afford. It's a matter of what belongs to God. And I've just been faithful in giving to Him. And God's always been faithful in giving back. Let's stand tonight. Let's lift our hands. Let's talk to the Lord together, everybody. Let's just talk to Him right now. Jesus, I love you. Hallelujah. Let me let me let me let me just give you one more little word of explanation here before I just dismiss you. I said earlier that the tithing is for the livelihood. It was for the livelihood of the Levites. But but I want you to understand something. Not all Levites were priests. Not all Levites were priests. They had to be of the direct lineage among the sons of Levi. Levi had 3 sons. And there were some that basically they were janitors. But they were still Levites. There were some that were musicians, but they were still Levites. And so, so don't think that it just means the preacher is regardless of whatever comes in, the preacher just gets it all. That's not the way I see it. That's not the biblical pattern. I think as we get to a place that we can bring on an assistant and we ever bring on a Full-time music director. To me, I see these as Levitical equivalents. That's the way I feel about it. And I pray that that day comes. I want to see that day come. So it's not about the pastor getting rich. Just thought I'd throw that in in case you... Might have had a question. That's not what it's about. At least, not in my eyes, it's not. But it is about the service of the house of the Lord. That's what it's about. I think that's the way God designed it to be. I can promise you I didn't get in this business to get rich. I think God has a sense of humor because I can remember long before I ever even knew about church and the truth, I can remember telling my parents I'm going to be a millionaire when I grow up. And I think God has a sense of humor and says, oh yeah, i won't make you a preacher. We'll take care of that problem. That's how I know that Peter and John were really apostolic, because they got to the lame man and said, "Silver and gold have I none." They were apostolic preachers. I can promise you that. They weren't Creflo Dollar and Benny Hinn and TD Jakes, and Joel Osteen, and how many more names can I call? Who? Yeah, whoever he is, um, these word of faith preachers. I'm trying to think who's the guy with the evil eyes. Kenneth Copeland and these these guys that live in multi million dollar mansions. That's not. I I don't see that biblical pattern anywhere. I I've got a mansion, but it's not down here. So I I promise you, none of what I'm teaching is to benefit me. It's to benefit you. It's to bring the favor of God upon you. It's to help you to be blessed. Praise God. God bless you.